There was a short story, and much later a motion picture, called Ender's Game. Perhaps you've read it, or seen it, or at least heard of it. The premise is pretty basic. Kids are recruited to play computer games, and the ones that get really good get promoted to live in these fancy villages. And, well, you probably already guessed the ending, right? It's the science fiction equivalent of it was all a dream. I mean, the ending is that Ender is battling aliens who are attacking Earth. And governments of the world wanted a quick and agile mind of a child who could think three-dimensionally and without all that moralizing about killing, you know, space aliens. Ender's Game remains a very popular book. Its author, Orson Scott Card, told me he was sitting on the front porch when the idea for that short story came to him full-blown. Yeah, I met him at the World Science Fiction Convention back when I did that. And later we met up again at a writer's workshop, but that's another story. Anyway, what if there was a way to simulate attacks on your networks? Yeah, there's red teams, but they're kind of hard to scale. What if you wanted to have this training more often, say once a month? And what if you could see your progress from month to month? Well, you can. And in a moment, I'll introduce you to someone who has created a cyber range to do just that. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Vimosi, and in this episode, I'm talking about cyber ranges, simulations that can both teach and improve the security of your networks. We're a cybersecurity company that started uh, seven years ago. That's Lee Rossi, CTO and co-founder of SimSpace, a cyber range company. I met up with Lee at Black Hat USA 2022, and I asked him to tell me a little bit more about his company. We do, um, we create cyber ranges to be able to provide uh, training, testing, assessments, and overall measure the readiness of organization. And that comes down to how good are your people and how do we improve them? How good is the tech that you have? How do I measure it and how do I make it better? And then that combination of the people with the tech against live adversaries or automated red teams and really understanding and measuring how well you're doing and then where to actually improve upon that. So this all sounds like what you'd hire a red team to do. They'd study your network and try to exploit any weaknesses. You'd also have a blue team. They're the good team. They're on the inside and they would defend you. And then you'd compare notes. So why not just hire a red team? Uh, very fair, very fair. So I think the value of a red team is, is super important. And many organizations that we work, large banks, DODs, they have the red teams to measure a point in time of the organization itself. But that doesn't really tell you per se, how do I improve my staff and the people itself to be able to deal with the sophisticated adversaries going into it. So what you really want to do is in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the moment, when somebody's attacking you, how well do your defensive teams, how well are your tools acting and reacting to, to what's going on. So it's not about necessarily the specific controls that the red team is testing, but the readiness of the organization in terms of identifying it, triaging, taking action. And as you know, it's all about dwell time. The shorter you find the adversary, the faster you can kind of get them out. Ideally, the less damage that's actually happening uh, for that. So I would say it complements it. And what we have is automated red teams to put up a sophisticated threat against the defensive teams so they can dial it up. Or when we do these larger assessments for, say, large banks, we have our red team 
going live against these security teams, and now you're battling back and forth and seeing how well they, they work that. So here, you actually have human and automated red teams. And like any other red teams, these emulate the current threats in the wild. So the threats that we look after are ones that you would see popular in the wild. And against the customers that we work, large financial institutions, militaries, the U.S. military, foreign militaries, NATO partners, uh, how well do they defend and react against these threats? And it could be somebody like a Target, it could be a bank, it could be a municipality like the city of New York, or it could be the U.S. military. So the question is, what are the Russians up to? What are the Chinese up to? What are the North Koreans up to? So if you're a bank in Turkey, or you're a bank over in the Middle East, and you're worried about certain threats of, say, uh, banking data being stolen, how do they defend and prepare themselves against, say, um, somebody's going after financial? The flip side is, Ukraine is a good example over here. What happens when somebody's attacking my country? How do I find and go through? So whether it's a a target or an adversary going after uh, destruction, manipulation, or finance, the question is how do you emulate those threats for those environments um, to do that? Perhaps it's good to start over and explain what we mean by a cyber range. It's a simulated space where defenders go to see real attacks against their network. But I'll let Lee explain in greater detail what it is. So uh, I think of a cyber range as is actually four layers. The first layer is just the ability to recreate the, 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 the virtual machines, the routers, the domain controllers, the, 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 just the physical assets, or sorry, the virtual assets. So if I have a domain controller or something in AWS or I have a router, okay, that's layer one. Layer two is going to be the automation of, say, the security tools. I want to drop in there Carbon Black and Cyber Reason, and I want to be able to put in there all the domain policies, and I want to be able to set up all the applications with the user. Okay, that's layer two. The third layer is going to be how do I model virtual users, AI little boss, that are interacting with the Windows client, sending emails, sending PowerPoint, creating all that background normal traffic so it makes that network come alive. If I just have three VMs and I just run the attack, it becomes very easy to find the attack. What you want is the needle in the haystack. Find the attack with thousands of virtual users using Outlook and browsing the web and all that. And in there, we're also gonna run automated attacks. So we're gonna have virtual users, automated attacks. That fourth layer is all of the, I'll call them the measurements, the telemetry, the assessment tools that when the operators are in there, I'm measuring every step of the attack with what it's doing. I know exactly what every virtual user is doing. I'm measuring the response from the human person. So now I can actually start measuring dwell time, efficiency, what the tools see or don't see. So think of it as all the measurement tool at that fourth layer. You might be thinking that this is all generic, a generic network that's under attack. Actually, it's formed by copying your own network as it exists with all the tools that you currently use. Very hard to kind of create that by hand. It takes weeks or months. What we've done is created the ability to rapidly, rapidly automate it. So the current version can take data from almost think it was like a network designer tool. I design it, I create it, and I can rapidly automate everything about it. A new version that we're creating connects to a production network to your security tools, your Splunks, your Carbon Blacks, your Cyber Reasons, pulls the data in, and it'll create a model of that network from your production tools that you already have. So it's the ability to rapidly create a very high fidelity replica of your network with your security tools, your operating systems, your environments, and the users. And now the data from that environment is not a generic Here's a, 
Here's Lee's special. Um, what I think is something that closely matches with what you have. So when simulating an attack, I would imagine that they would just follow what any given APT is doing. So you would take the signatures that would be indicative of, say, a foreign government, and then you would say, this is the attack by X. So two answers. As much as publicly available and disclosed, we'll take that data and recreate as much as available to go through. And we may not have the exact payload, but we're going to use the same techniques, procedures, everything else about it. So as much of the payload, as much as we can recreate, we're going to go through and automate that. But we're going to have these smarter uh, automations. It's going to randomize it a bit. It may have slightly different IOCs so we can randomize where it's coming from. So you can have some repeatability and you can actually try it multiple times. I would say that we go through and recreate the full attack kill chain from the, from the outside, uh, exploit and get, take advantage of machine on the inside. In episode 53 and earlier in episode 20, I talked with Frank Duff about the MITRE attack framework. If you don't know about it, you should go back and listen to those two episodes because it's pretty cool what they do. They basically take real-world data and they try to find the tactics and techniques used by different APTs, by different adversaries. And they're very important if you're looking at your network to try to figure out where to put your resources next. So we map everything to the MITRE attack framework. So every one of the attacks, you, the, the MITRE does a wonderful job. Um, and they do a great job of, I'll say, having a nice taxonomy where you can kind of see, here's my simple way of thinking about it. It's like, if all of your attacks that you're testing are, say, a spear phishing or the same technique, great. Out of the, I'm going to make it up. Out of the 100 possible options, if you're only testing against three, okay, great. What we want to be able to do is show as much coverage, breadth and depth, for the various techniques that somebody may have. And that'll give a better... I'll say a better assessment of the people and the tech of being able to actually find them. So we try and change around as much as possible uh, for those. What I like about MITRE ATT&CK is that it has some 300 tactics and techniques, but you only need to have a handful, those that are affecting your organization. And in some cases, you might have only two or three tactics to worry about. Whether it's spear phishing or drive-by, get out the box, laterally move, compromise data, take it all out. So the zero day is not always as important as the fact that there may be stuff happening on the endpoint or ladder movement going through or command and control going out. Which of your tools is picking up on that to go through? I'd say that to give props to one of our partners, Mandiant, one of the things that we're working on there is they do have a lot of great intel. And how do I take the intel from some of the actual threats and start marrying it into the range? And the beauty about the range, these simulation environments, is I can get very destructive. I can actually attack the machines, I can take the data down, I can manipulate the data in a database, for example, financial or transactional. I should probably expand um, some of the network environments they do, some model hospitals, some model power companies, some model financials. So for the financials, we'll have SWIFT-like payment systems or automatic telemachines. And so the attacker is going to get into the accounting systems to manipulate that data. And now the question is, how well does the security staff not necessarily see that a machine is going down, but that the amounts of money in that account is actually varying. And those are harder to find. I would imagine one of the advantages of having an automated system as opposed to having a live red team is that you can perform it more often. You can actually do checks against time. Absolutely. So we actually take measurements um, on a, you can almost think of it, the U.S. military. The U.S. military uses our range a bulk of the software for the U.S. military is using our range for what they call the persistent cyber training environment. That's the cyber mission force with 6,000 offensive and defensive operators. And I'm going to use that as an example because it goes from how do I get individuals that are now skilled up to their position 
those individuals, and they have to do this like daily, weekly, just maintain and build up their skills. Great, now you want to be part of a team. So just like in football, you have your wide receiver, you have your quarterback, you have your uh, defensive Great, now they're going to work as a team, and they're going to practice every two weeks, four weeks, you name it. After that, they're going to come and do some larger exercises. So I have five, six, ten teams working there. So you go from individual to team to teams of teams, and at every interval, you're, you're rehearsing, you're, you're building individual skills, but you're practicing. I look at it a lot like football. Great position players, you got to work together as a, as a team, you got to know the system, and just like in football, every, every day of the week you're practicing, and then on Sunday, you are doing, and you repeat that throughout. Cyber is really not that different. All this actually starts to sound fun. So maybe you're not doing it once a month. Maybe you're doing it once a week. Maybe this becomes a sporting match. Ah, <laughs> to some degree. You know what? This is where I look back and it's like, the defensive teams are getting better. We've been doing this for 20 years. I used to be at Lincoln Laboratory, uh, a federally funded R&D center. And honestly, the defenses were horrible 20 years ago. There were no real firewall. Okay, there was a firewall, but it was not really great. You look around here uh, at Blackhead and there's so many cybersecurity companies, the defenses are actually getting better. So it's, it's a cat and mouse. It, it may not seem like it, but it is getting better uh, if you're willing to kind of put the, put the energy into it. So you can imagine that this is going to be interesting to different verticals. For example, the government probably would want to take advantage of this, but there's also finance and other industries. So we look at all verticals, and the way we think about it is any organization that's large enough to have a SOC or a security operations center with a team of, say, eight-plus people, then you're ready for us. Um, if you are smaller than that, we're probably not a good fit uh, to be able to do that. And, and that spans everything from commercial companies to militaries to utilities to hospitals, you name it for that. And some of the areas that we're expanding now this year is into, say, Europe and Asia Pacific. And the Russia is a good example here where thanks even to the support from the U.S. government, how do we help uh, build up the defenses for many of the neighboring countries that are all through there? So in support or with the help of the U.S. government, building up Slovenia and Hungary and Ukraine. Ukraine, uh, separate story on that one. But, but how do we help them out so they can actually build their own teams up to be able to actually defend about a potential aggressor, of which there's an obvious one that's going on right now. In episode 50, I talked with Miko Hupinen about the digital battle in Ukraine. It's all hands on deck and not a simulation. It's real life attacks happening 24 seven. And that gets us back to the point about red teaming and pen tests. They're point in time events, not like real life. Lee's simulations, well, they can simulate an ongoing attack, which raises the question, how much of an organization needs to participate in these exercises? Um, actually, it's a decent amount. And um, one, of the, one of the top five banks that we work with, and I'll, I'll keep the name separate, we started off with just, for example, one sock in the U.S. And then the next, think of these as almost like semi-annual exercises. So every six months, we're doing an event, and we're bringing the sock. And so it started off with just the one in the U.S. Then it was the U.S. with a handover to the Europe and then a handover to, say, Asia Pacific. And we're doing the shift handovers between SOCs because the threat just doesn't stop after three hours. It goes for 24 plus hours. From there, they said, hey, you know what? This is good, but why are we faking the domain controller guys and the firewall guys? Let me start pulling in the domain because, you know, when I'm doing a security incident, many times I may have to tighten up my GPOs on my domain controller. Or if an incident with my exchange server, in that case, 
I want to pull that guy in. Or how do I do it? So it started expanding to, I'll say, broader IT side, but also the business side. And so what we started doing is almost by line of business, it's like, okay, this month we're going to deal with assets or we're going to deal with um, ATMs. So let's bring the business owners and now put this, here's a funny one. So we're doing some attacks against one of the banks. They were all over uh, the golden ticket. They got into the main controller, taking everything over. The ITMs are all compromised. And the, guy, the security guy's like, enough. We're going to pull the plug. Uh, we're going to reset the whole system. And, and we're done with it. The business guy's not so fast, my friend. If you're going to pull all the ATM machines for a top five bank offline, there's a real cost to that. And so you can start seeing that pressure and that sweat on the security guys you have to operate through. Yes, something is happening, but how do I maintain business continuity while I'm under attack, contain it, and really minimize that downtime? Uh, and that started really emphasizing, you know, what happens in that heat of battle, if you were to call it. So if you're playing a machine, I would imagine there's a degree of predictability. Machines are only as creative as the programmer makes it. But life throws at you a variety of crazy things. So to make the training more real, I would imagine there needs to be more randomization of the events and so forth. Like... Is there an AI operating in the background, or is this strictly algorithmic? It, it's algorithmic, but we're also building AI bots, both defensively and offensively, to be able to be smarter. Right. New course of action, all that. But I only, but to be fair, it's only going to go so far. So we have, we have randomization in our automated attacks, and there's some AI components. But when you're going up a, against a sophisticated security team, you need to be able to actually go through. And to be fair, our red teams have to be able to get around a lot of great tools. CrowdStrike and Tanium and Splunk, so, and they're well-tuned, so they have to find ways to kind of evade them. And in some cases, our red teams are only like 15 minutes ahead of the security teams as they're going through that. So it's a really rapid pace of trying to go through them and operate. But I will say, you're going to laugh a little bit, Many times we throw the automated attacks as chaff, as noise on the side, while the red teams are doing something on the, on the front over here. So in other words, let me do some automated ransomware, some noise over on the left corner, while the red teamers are really trying to kind of get into, say, a financial system or something on the side. And so this starts getting into the point of how, does it, how do they triage, how do they disambiguate with what's going on, and work through those. So it becomes interesting. And, and the nice thing is, this is not just to say, ah, we beat you. No, that's not the intent at all. It's really, how do we improve upon it? After every one of the events, we will stop and say, okay, here's what we did. Here's how we got around it. Here's how you can improve it. This is where you would tune some of the things. And then you repeat. So back to your earlier question is, do the event, then allow them to come back, automate it. Did I improve upon what I was trying to do? Either because a person missed it or the tech missed it. And many times we find out, Shit, I had no visibility. Sorry for my language. I had no visibility, so what do I need to buy or get to be able to actually figure that out? Or they may already have the tool, and how do I tune that to be able to find it better? In a previous episode, episode 53, I talked about how exercises can help your organization see what tools are useful and what tools are not. It might be that you have legacy protection on your network, and that doesn't make sense given the threats you have today. And also, more troubling, you may not have the protection that you need to match today's threats either. Yes, and for two things. A, when we're talking about the people, it's always hard to, uh, I'll say on two fronts, it's hard to take the red teamers, they're super busy, so to get their time to be able to go through, but it's also challenging to pull a full sock team off the watch floor or off the floor to be able to operate. So A, on whatever frequency makes sense for the organization to run those, that's good, but then how do I continuously measure the technology 
of the facsimile or the replica of the range to make sure that the controls are actually in good shape. So every time there's a new Lazarus or APT pick a number or some new threat, let me throw that against the tech and just see, all right, how well does that measure up? Does it get through or not get through? So our users many times have multiple instances of the range, one for training, one for testing, one for evaluating new products they're thinking about bringing in to be able to go through, one for intel and analysis to do that. So the nice thing about virtual machines or just you know cloud and all that is I can make lots of copies uh, over time to run those. While the cyber range seems really cool modeling your network for virtual training exercises, it's not for every organization. So that raises a question. When is the right time for this type of environment and investment to be made? And, and at least to me, governments and large financials, because they've been dealing, militaries, they've been dealing with these separate attacks for a long time. They've been ready. They were some of our earlier customers because they had built the team. Well, A, they were getting attacked. So they had built up the teams, bought the technology, and now they're ready for that uh, next step. Uh, early on in the, in the company, when we were around, we were meeting with some Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies um, that literally the security team was one guy and they just didn't understand what it was. So once an organization builds up the technology, the tools that they have, they start building up uh, the people, great, now that you have those, how do I now continually test and measure and improve? So you don't want to just have a bunch of bodies, sorry, a lot of staff members, how do I now take it up to the next level and just improve your readiness uh, for that? And um, people are understanding the threats and the risk from attacks, so this really is a way to kind of start measuring how you're doing, but also, it's not just another line item to add to the expense thing. In many regards, it can improve your overall efficiency to some degree take away tools that are no longer needed to be able to actually start improving it. And I think the reality is there's not enough people, too many tools, so you have all these people just swiveling chairs between tools, so how do I, how do I figure out what tools I really need with the operators that are really good and improve on that one? So it's just a way to now improve your readiness in a quantifiable way. It's, it's not just saying, cry wolf. Let's really measure it. And we mentioned a few product names in this podcast thus far. These are not endorsements. I want to be clear on that. They're just examples that Lee sees out in the field today. No, I think, I think there's a lot of great companies. And the ones I was throwing out there are just examples. There's a lot of other ones that we're going through. They're just some prominent ones that happen to be right around here. Um, I think there's a lot of, in general, I think companies do a good job. There's a lot of good ones. So the question is, what's the right one for the organization? What are the ones that they have? How do they integrate? Honestly, though, sometimes a company may be a little bit, um, what's the right word? May not be as capable as they say, and you find that out um, for that. But but it gives, so from our standpoint, we're almost like the cyber Switzerland. We don't advocate, we don't push any one or the other ones. We're here to measure. We're here to help you make decisions. We don't give you a report. It's your tools in an environment that matches what you look like you see what's going through. And, and the other one is out of the box, every one of the tools are pretty good. It really comes down to that detection engineering and tuning it and getting it just right. And um, sometimes it's just that. It's just how do I tune those tools to, to, work, to work for their team? So we're not endorsing or advocating any one over the other. Um, but it does give you a way to kind of just figure out the strengths and weaknesses of each. Given his years of experience and his engagement with various organizations, where does Lee see the threat landscape today? I mean, is it getting better? Honestly, this is where I think I'm an optimist. I think it's actually getting better. I think, um, I think the threat is there because wherever the money is, wherever the potential damage that be done, um, people are going to go after it. 
Having said that, uh, organizations are recognizing the, the impacts of not being well secured and all that. They're making the investments and things are getting better. So there's a lot of investment into, in general, good technology. People are taking a good posture towards it. They're not just writing it off as, ah, don't care. And I think it is improving the overall security for that. With the improvements overall, yes, there's gonna be some areas that are gonna be weaker and they're gonna to have to improve themselves a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I'm an optimist. I think things are getting better and it's forcing the adversaries to step up their game um, where they didn't have to do it before. I'd like to thank Lee Rossi for coming on the show and discussing SimSpace. It's important to understand how cyber ranges are important to testing the security of large organizations. and can do so because they can test 24-7. They can provide measurement over time on how well your team is doing. And more to the point, they can tell you what tools are working and what tools may not be necessary for your organization's defenses. I have so many stories about hackers who are making a positive difference in the world. I don't want you to miss out. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at Robert Vimosi on Twitter or join me on Discord. You can find the deets at hackermind.com. For The Hacker Mind, I'm the very real Robert Vimosi. Robert Vimosi.